Well, if you would turn with me to John chapter 17, John chapter 17, which is the Lord's Prayer, uh, the prayer that he actually, the one we just prayed is the one he taught us to pray. This is the one he prayed. And you'll notice uh, how similar the themes are in both prayers, but um, Make your way to John 17, and um, let me start with a couple of thoughts. I want you to imagine a little girl who is trying to listen through the door of her parents' bedroom because she knows they're in there planning their summer vacation, and she's listening, and she, she wants to find out what good things mom and dad have planned for the family this summer. Because she knows her mom and dad, and she knows how much they love the family, she and her brothers and sisters, and she knows that whatever they're going to plan for them is going to be amazing. They're going to have a great time. There's going to be so much joy. It's going to be good. And so she's listening to see what they're talking about, to see if she could catch a few of the good things that are to come. One of the old Puritan preachers, Robert Murray Machane, said this. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And yet distance makes no difference, he said. He is praying for me. Paul in Romans 8 reminds us that Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, talking to the Father about us. Hebrews intensifies that by saying that Jesus always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. And so you need to know this this morning, Mountain Fellowship, that Jesus is talking to his Father about you and about our church right now and all the time. And you need to believe that their plans for you and for us are good and they will bring us the best joy, the most joy. And John 17 gives us the opportunity to listen at the door to overhear Jesus talking to his father about the plans they have for us. Now, John 17 has a lot in it. It's 26 verses. Uh, there's a lot there, and it's so rich, and it's so deep, and it's so interwoven and intricate. Um, I don't want you to get lost in it, so let me try to, before we read it, let me try to help us have some way of getting a grasp of some of the things that are in there. Um, let's think again about this little girl. And let's suppose that she actually does hear what the plans are that mom and dad are making. And it's plans for a trip to Disney, to Disney World down there in Orlando. Um, and she hears that they have five exciting plans, five plans that are exciting to her. First, they're going to drive to Florida. And she's never been to Florida before. She's never seen a palm tree in real life. She's only seen one in the Sunday school book, you know, 
she doesn't know what a palm tree looks like. She's excited. And she hears that when they get there, they're going to stay in a hotel that has an indoor pool. Now, I know when my kids were little, that was something. They were like, indoor pool? This is crazy. I mean, that's awesome. But that's just day one. Days two, three, four, and five, they're going to visit every one of the Disney theme parks. They're going to go to Magic Kingdom, they're going to go to Epcot, they're going to go to Animal Kingdom, and then they're going to go to Dad's Favorite, where they have all the Star Wars stuff, the uh, Hollywood Studios theme park. So there's these five things that she now knows she has in her head. We're going to Florida, there's going to be a pool. And then we're going to all these cool theme parks, four of them. Jesus talks to his father about at least five amazing plans that he has for us in this prayer. Now, here's, here's the hint to help you remember what these five amazing plans are. They're on the front of your bulletin. That little part at the bottom that says the word, worship, fellowship, prayer, and service. And you're thinking... Well, that's not Disney. No, it's better than Disney. This is, this is amazing. This is what Jesus and the Father, by the Spirit, have planned for you and for me. All right? So when, when I read through John 17 here, when you read along with me, uh, I'll read out loud. You can follow along. I want you to look for those five things. Look for the Word. Look for worship. Look for uh, fellowship and prayer and service, okay? Okay. Um, and remember that this is the prayer, and this is the word, the prayer of the God who loves you. How do we know that? Because six times in this prayer, this is how Jesus describes you and me. Later in the, you'll see, he's, he prays for the disciples, but then he says, I also pray for those whom will believe in the message that my disciples have. So that's us. He's praying this for us. But Six times he describes them and he describes us as those whom you, Father, have given to me. Is, is, there, not a, is there a sweeter description of who we are? This is what endears Jesus to us. The Father gave us to him. We're, we're his Father's precious gift to him. So friends, hear the prayer of the one who loves you. Let's stand. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Remember, this is the night before he was crucified. He's with his disciples, with the 11 now. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, 
having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they, may also, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they almost so, may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, um, thank you for this prayer. Thank you for this Lord's Prayer that we can see and hear your heart for us. And I pray that even now as we think through it for a few minutes, that we will be like that little girl at the door listening in to hear the conversation the Father and the Son are having about all the wonderful plans you have for your people. 
and help us to find great joy in what we hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So then what does Jesus want for us? What does he want for you? What does he want for Mountain Fellowship? What is he praying for? There's five of these things. I'm going to spend the most time on the first one, just so you're aware. First, Jesus wants to be everything to you. He wants to be everything to you. And that's what we call worship. Where do I see that? He doesn't say those, he doesn't say the word everything necessarily. But listen to what he says. He says, glorify your son. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you. And he says, that the son may glorify you. He says, I have glorified you. Then down in verse 24, he says, I desire, Father, this is what I, I want, that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me from the foundation of the world. Now, you may have heard that in the Bible, the word glory is, um, is about weightiness. In fact, in the Hebrew, it, glory means heavy. Um, it's about weightiness. And so I was thinking, it, it, glory is, is like that heavy thing, like the sun in our solar system. It keeps all the planets aligned and in order and in their place. Glory is, uh, I kind of think this is funny. I, I think of the times when I, big full-grown man Jimmy, have had the opportunity to get into a bouncy house with a bunch of little, little kids. Um, it's, not, it's not always good for the kids. But um, if I get in a bouncy house full of little ones, guess what? They're all going to come to me because I'm going to weigh down the middle and they're all going to come crashing into me. That's glory. <laughs> the weightiness of God draws us to him. <laughs> we can't help it. We talk about uh, someone who has gravitas, you know, someone who has weightiness and influence over us. And then we, we know that um, the ballast in a boat is, is weight. They put, pack weight down into the bottom of boats so that they stay steady in the storms. All these, all these things describe what the Bible means by glory, by the weightiness of God. And Jesus wants you and me to know and experience his weightiness, his glory. And so I ask you this morning, what, what holds that kind of weight in your life? What is it that is the sun in your solar system that, keeps air, that you hope will keep everything ordered in your life? What is it that uh, kind of jumps into your life and pulls you to it because it's so weighty, you have to go to it? Um, what is it, who is it that has influence, a gravitas that, that they influence 
how you think, how you talk, how you live, what you buy, what you think, what you value. And what do you look to to hold you steady in the storm? What has glory in your life? Well, Jesus is praying that he and his father would be the sun in our solar system, that he and his father would be the biggest, heaviest person in the bouncy house of our lives. Jesus is praying that he and his father would have influence over us more than anything else. Jesus is praying that we would know that in the storms of our lives, they hold us steady more than anything else. Another one of those Puritan pastors, John Owen, said about this passage, he said, Jesus prayed for his disciples that they might be with him where he is to behold his glory because he knew it, his glory, would fully satisfy them forever. So Jesus isn't, you know, if any of us want to be the glory in someone else's life, we're a narcissist. But when Jesus wants to be the glory of your life, he's loving because he knows that if he's the weightiest thing, the weightiest one in your life, you will be fully satisfied forever in him. Jesus knows he's everything you need and that he's ultimately and the only thing that will satisfy you. And so we ask the Father that you would know that he's everything you need. Glorify your son, Father. Let them see and feel the weight of who I am for them. Make me their everything. And so what, is, what does Jesus think qualifies him to be the everything in your life? Well, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. In, in the book of John, this, when Jesus talks about the hour, he's talking about uh, his crucifixion and resurrection. You know, earlier in chapter 2, he was at a wedding and his mother was wanting him to do something spectacular. And he said, my hour has not yet come. It's not time. And now he's saying the hour has come. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be raised from the dead and ultimately be seated at the, rock, the Father's right hand. The hour that Jesus is talking about is that time when he became the perfect substitute sacrifice for the sins of his people. And then... God raised him from the dead back to life again as the one who conquered Satan, suffering sin and hell and death and the grave for us. And now he sits at the right hand of his father as the risen, rightful king of glory, ruling over and renewing all things. Jesus says, that's the hour when I am glorified. This is the moment where I will be most glorified when I do this for my people. And he is at the right hand of the Father, ruling and renewing. What's he doing with all that authority up there? This is what he said in his prayer to the Father. He says, you've given him, me, your son, authority over all flesh to do what? Jesus has authority over everything. And what's he going to do with that authority? What would be the most important thing you would do if you had authority over all flesh? (laughs) Jesus says, you've given me authority over all flesh 
to give eternal life to all whom you've given me. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ from whom, you've, uh, whom you have sent. Jesus um, knows that his glory is what will give us life. And eternal life is not just a quantity of life, a forever life. It's, it's a quality of life that begins now. It's fullness of life. And Jesus wants to be everything in your life because he is and has everything that gives you forever and full life. He prays that you will want him with everything you are and have because you've discovered that he is and has everything that you want. And so... So he, he wants to be our everything. Well, so what? So what? When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to play your sports tomorrow, what does it matter that Jesus is praying that he will be your everything? Well, two things. There's lots, but here's just two. If you go to work and school and home and wherever you do your things tomorrow and you believe that Jesus isn't your everything, you'll rest. You'll rest. What do, what do I mean? You'll rest because you know that no other person or position or possession or no power that you have, your own personality Nothing else will have the weight to hold you together, to hold you close, and to hold you steady in the storm. And so you can rest. You don't have to look for them. You have everything in Jesus who will hold you together, hold you close, and hold you steady. You can rest tomorrow. You can Quit striving and looking for the weighty thing that will make your life come together because you have it. You have him. And the second thing that will help you tomorrow is to know this, that Jesus will use everything in your life good or hard, to help you embrace him as everything. That's what he's up to. If you're ever wondering, what on earth are you doing for me, God, to me, God, with me, God? He's working to make sure you embrace him as your everything. Because remember, he loves you and he knows us what you need the most. What does that mean? Paul, Paul had a situation where he was under so much affliction that he despaired even of life itself, he said. And, and this is what he said about that. He said, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Why, he says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying, 
what God was allowing in this affliction in our lives, God was using to make us rely on him as our everything. No one else raised from the dead for you. Jesus did. And what he's after in everything is to make sure you want him as your everything. And he's praying for that. As you go to school tomorrow, Jesus is praying. I want you to want me as your everything. As you go to work, whatever you're doing, that's what he's praying for. And that's worship. Well, what else does Jesus want us to pray for? We'll, we'll move a little quicker now. Because that's the most important thing. Well, Jesus goes on in verse 18 and he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, this is an interesting thing that Jesus is praying for us. Um, when Jesus was sent into the world, he told his disciples, I came to serve, not to be served. And so this is that area of service. Well, what, what does that mean? Service is not, just, not necessarily just helping people with physical things, though it's not less than that. But listen, this is what in his prayer he's saying is our purpose for being sent into the world. He wants us to be in the world, but not of the world, for the sake of the world. You got that? He wants us to be in the world, but not of the world, yet for the sake of the world. Listen to what he said. In verse 14, he said to his father, they, speaking about us, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So just as God sent him into the world, but he's not of it, he's not, he's not influenced by, and here world is the, um, the world in its uh, rebellion against God. He's not of the world in that sense, but he's in it. Verse 18, uh, Jesus said, you sent me into the world. In fact, six times Jesus says in this prayer that he was sent by the Father. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus was sent to live in the world, and he wants you to be in the world. He wants you to be up close to the people in the world. He doesn't want you to run away from them. But then he goes on and he says again in verse 16, they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. So he wants you to be in the world with the people in the world, but not of the world. And then in verse 30, uh, 23, he says that he prays that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, just as Jesus came for the sake of the world so that he would see sinful people reconciled to God and have eternal life and know him, now he says he sent you and he sent our church right here into the world for the sake of our neighbors and the next generation on this mountain. He sent us to be in the world, but not of the world, for the sake of the world. That's our service. That's how we serve. So what? So what? Why is Mountain Fellowship here? Why are you here? Well, he's, he sent Mountain Fellowship. This is what Jesus is praying for, that we would live as different people to make a difference in the lives of people. 
specifically the people on Walden's Ridge, Chattanooga, wherever he puts you. So we're to be different from the world in order to make a difference in the world. So when you go to work or school or wherever God puts you tomorrow, you're there to be different. You're there to live a different kind of life, a life that says and shows Jesus is everything to me. Not perfectly, but, but he's everything to me. In fact, he's so much everything to me, to me that when I don't live as if he's everything, I go back to him to forgive me and cleanse me and empower me so that, I'll be every, so that he'll be everything to me. I grow in his everythingness to me. And tomorrow when the people in those places see that you're pursuing him as your everything um, by the way you relate to them and to him and to each other, they'll find that he's everything. They'll see the glory that they've been looking for. They'll see that weighty thing that holds them together, that holds them close, and that holds them in the storm. So I want to ask you, who do you know on Signal Mountain, Walden's Ridge, down the W, down Robertsville, down at the foot on Mountain Creek Road? Who do you know that needs to see and hear from you that the Father sent Jesus so that he could be the everything that they've been looking for. Well, that's worship and service. The others I'm just going to touch on. Um, the way that he makes us different from the world to make a difference for the world is through his word and fellowship. Now, we're, we're not going to get into it, but he, he says, Sanctify them, Father. In the truth, your word is truth. Sanctification means to be set apart. He, he makes us different in order to be a difference by the word of God. So what? What does that mean? That means that tomorrow you will be told a story, a narrative, that says that something else besides Jesus is your everything or should be. Something else satisfies you more, will satisfy you more. And those stories have such shaping power that they would make you believe something besides Jesus is weighty. And so he says, get into this story. Get to know the story of Jesus and get to know the Jesus of the story because that's what the story is for. This is the true story that tells you the truth about what is weighty. Not to shame you, but to show you, to help you, to love you, to say, this is what you're made for. You're made for Jesus. And here he is. So that means tomorrow, the next day, whenever you have an opportunity, whether it's joining a Bible study or coming here or reading on your own or listening to podcasts, whatever it is, Soak yourself in this story because the, this whole week you're going to be soaking in other stories that will tell you lies. And then fellowship is the other way that he makes us different to be a difference. Um, he asked that the Father would make us one with each other 
and with him. So what? Well, sometime this week, you're going to forget who you are, whose you are, and why you're here. I will, you will, and we need to help each other remember whose we are, who we are, why we're here. And we do that by getting together, talking about the story, living in the story together, loving Jesus together, making Jesus big to each other again to say, don't forget, he's your everything. He's your everything. I need you to do that in my life. Now, Jesus also prays in verse 15 that God would keep us from the evil one. Why would he say that? Because he knows that we have an enemy who hates the word of God, hates worship, hates service, hates prayer, hates fellowship, hates that you love Jesus as your everything. He hates it. And so friends, as a church and as individual believers, you have to be aware and know that Jesus is praying that the Father would keep you from the evil one who's trying to convince you that Jesus is not your everything. I was just having a conversation right before the service with someone who said, Satan doesn't like our church. And he's after, he, he wants to, met. yeah, that's absolutely right. He will do everything in his power to keep us from doing what Jesus is praying for. And so Jesus prays about that. So know tomorrow that as you're struggling with Jesus being the everything in your life, he's praying for your protection. Final thought. I haven't mentioned prayer yet, and that's one of our five things. What about prayer? Jesus isn't praying to the Father that we would pray to the Father. He doesn't say, and I pray that they would pray to you. He doesn't say that anywhere in the prayer. But he is praying to the Father so that we would see that we need to pray to him too. doesn't strike you as odd that Jesus, the Son of God, who in fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, will accomplish everything that he's praying for in us, needs to ask the Father to do it, needs to pray that the Father would do it. It's because Jesus knows that only the partnership and power of God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit will ever accomplish these things in us. It's only through the partnership and, part and power of God that dead people will live and that enemies will be his friends. It's only through the partnership and power of God that any of us would worship him as the everything of our lives and that we would long and live to see the people on Sigma Mountain do the same. And so Jesus is, Jesus is showing us. And in fact, the Lord's Prayer that we prayed earlier, read back through John 17, put the Lord's Prayer and the Lord's Prayer together, and everything that he tells us to pray for, he prayed for in John 17, and is praying for us now. It's all there. And so, because we're talking about something miraculous, we have to pray and be in the Word, pray and worship. Pray and 
fellowship. Pray and serve. And pray and pray. I'll close with this. Um, Eric mentioned that some of us were on a retreat this past weekend. We, we've told you, I sent you all an email, that the session has put together what we're calling the Antioch team because of the church in Antioch. I like to affectionately call them the A-team. But the Antioch team, uh, a group of seven of us um, who are working together on plans to help us grow in the health that we have seen that we need through our church health audit that we did last uh, October and November. Um, this little team went away this weekend up to Camp Vesper Point, and we met with Scott and Jim, who are our coaches and consultants for the weekend. And they led us through a process of beginning to identify some objectives for the next year uh, that we would uh, need to pursue in order to be, uh, be a healthier church. And some of those objectives have to do, I'll tell you more later, but they have to do with worship. They, this worship, they have to do with children's ministry. They have to do with uh, fellowship groups. They have to do with serving our community and reaching out to our community um, in, in, with the gospel. Um, those kinds of things. And this team is going to meet together for the rest of 2023, at least monthly, to start to take these objectives and turn them into strategies and tactics. And you're going to hear more about that. Um, a friend of mine asked me, how, how did the retreat go? And I said to him, it couldn't have been better except for the bed I slept or didn't sleep on. Everything was awesome about it. And I asked our team, now I, I want to do this. I know, I know we're still going here, but I want to do this because it's going to encourage you. And it has to do with praying and Jesus praying for us. Because we met very much aware that Jesus was praying for us in that moment. And I asked the team, I said, would some of you send me back a text that I can read to the congregation so that they can get a little taste of what you sensed was good about the weekend? I want, I'm not going to tell you who said these things, but this is what they said. Somebody said, this retreat reminded me how vital prayer is to everything we do. The things we don't pray about are the things we think we can handle without the Spirit's help and enabling. I was convicted of my tendency toward prayerless striving. Scott and Jim helped us see uh, that the list of things we can do without the Spirit's enabling is very short indeed. They also gave us hope that the Lord would enable us as a team to evaluate, plan, and implement those things which will grow our church in health and vitality. Another one said, I was encouraged to be with a team of believers working together through prayer to focus on bringing the vision of our church to fruition. Jim and Scott helped to facilitate and lead the planning to have definite goals with action plans beyond just hopes and aspirations. Another one said, getting to be with this little group really feels like such a privilege. Jim and Scott coached us well, helping us to be missional in our desires and plans for our Mountain Fellowship body. Our time together left me refreshed in my understanding that prayer must be our starting place for making any plan. 
And I recognize my own lack of faithful prayer. So I want to start there. May the Lord increase my desire. I was just kind of floored by how what they got was prayer, prayer, prayer. I didn't ask them to say this. And then um, someone else said, I was reminded of how thankful I am for our church family as it exists today. <laughs> we, we are thankful for how we are, who we are right now. And encouraged to dream big about where God can grow us in our relationship with him and steer us to impact Signal Mountain for his kingdom. It will be challenging and exciting, scary and beautiful, relying on him, that's prayer, through, throughout the whole thing. And then, I'm sorry, I'm tired, I'm very emotional. Uh, <laughs> and then Jesse said this this morning, and this is what I want to close with. She said, this is the song, and we're going to try to find the tune, so maybe we can sing it, but this is the song that has been on repeat in my mind this weekend, and this, this sums up Jesus praying for us and us praying these things for us. O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive your church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. Father, would you, would you do that, please? Holy Spirit of Jesus, would you come? Breathe in us, on us, flow, blow through us. And fit your church for this hour that you've called us to. For your glory, for our gladness, and for the good of Walden's Ridge and Chattanooga and wherever else you'd have us work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.